Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled The State of Our Church was given by Darren Roundson on September 19th of 2010. We've never done this before. I'm calling it the state of the church, the state of the garden. There's a lot of new people here. Welcome. This is definitely a family conversation. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about the direction of our church, what it's going to look like this next year. And we're going to give you guys a financial update and just put it out there. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. And then next week, we're starting our new series on the kingdom of God. I'm really excited for this. I'm going to be starting our new series in the book of Mark. And the title of the series is The Kingdom Following Jesus in Times of Chaos. Um, And it's going to be an approach to understanding what Jesus' message was about verse by verse through through the gospel of Mark. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God, about the Holy Spirit, about demons, the whole, uh, all that stuff. And a lot of you are, I got a lot of feedback from last week's message. You, you were so excited for the conversation we had. We're going to have a lot more of those conversations and, and try to do more of the dialogue. Did you guys like the dialogue? I really did. Yeah? It's pretty fun. I'm pretty funny in those contexts, if you couldn't tell. Bill's pretty dry. But um, no. It's definitely the Mac and PC, no doubt in my mind. He's the PC and I'm the Mac. Um, that joke is old, and I'll stop using it. Okay. All right. So um, let's do this. Let me pray for us and, and get us into this, because if you're like me and you hear a lot of information, you're kind of already checked out. So I just want to um, invite you just to pray one more time and get reconnected. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, seasons of time. Lord, you give us seasons with people. Um, you give us seasons in our lives. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's fun, sometimes it's amazing. And God, you, you've given us the blessing to walk day by day with each other. So Lord Jesus, I pray for this conversation. I pray that we would be here and fully present to what you're up to. And know that um, you, you want to speak to each and every one of us today. So Lord, uh, I, I pray that you bless this conversation. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so I want to let you know where we've been, where we're going. Um, where we are currently, and finally, I just want to let you know what we need in order to get to where we want to go. It's first of all, our story. It's important that if you're part of this church, you know our story and why we planted this church in the first place. I just want to give you a quick summary of, of my story, along with those of us that left Rock Harbor to start this church. Um, I was at Rock Harbor on staff. It's a church in Costa Mesa. It's a large church, and while I was on staff, I heard uh, very clearly, God said, you're supposed to plant a church in Long Beach. I didn't really know what I was supposed to do with that. Um, so a group of us, starting in May 2008, started something called the Long Beach Project. And this was basically, yeah, woo-woo. There was, a, there was probably 40 of us or so that, that just said, hey, we wanna, we're not trying to plant a church. We're just trying to be the church in the city of Long Beach. We drew a circle around the map of Long Beach and we said, this is our city. We want to invest in it. We met once a month at doing a service like this. Um, we, we met t- during the week to pray together. We met at the Padua House, at the Rescue Mission, um, where we were serving the community. And we just said, hey, we're, we're just trying to be the church in the city. We did that for about four months. And my wife and I were living in Newport at the time, commuting, and we still really didn't know if we were supposed to plant a church. Um, so we eventually moved here, and it was the weekend that we moved here that my wife Alex and I just heard from the Lord very clearly that we came to plant an independent community in Long Beach. And so in November of 2008, we, my wife and I said, hey, we're going to plant a church. Um, we, we had about, at that, at, at that time, probably 30 to 40 people with us from this church called Rock Harbor that had 6,000 people. 
And so we, we said, hey, we want to plant a missional church. That means we've, we've heard it said on stage that the church exists for the world, that the church is supposed to be a, a community that lives out its faith seven days a week, not just on Sundays. And we said, we really want to plant a church that lives out its faith. That's what we tried to do. So instead of, of getting as many people from Rock Harbor as possible and just planning a replica, which isn't a bad thing, we said we want to invest in the city as disciples. We, plan, we want to plant a missional discipleship church. That was our goal. And if you could summarize what we were about when we started, it was this line, we want to live out our faith in the city. That's all we tried to do. We didn't, in fact, for those of you that were there, we met at this old church in the basement and um, it was hot in the summer. I mean, you've heard us talk about the glory days. Well, the glory days were like an old PA system that had corded microphones, uh, a floodlight that was our spotlight. We had these nasty purple chairs that were, or brown chairs that were ripped up. Um, it smelled like different types of food because there was potlucks in that room. I mean, it was just the opposite of seeker friendly. Um, to say the least, but that was, that was our place where God was forming the DNA of our community. Um, eventually, at that time, uh, in f we started meeting weekly in February 2009, and we were going to launch in October. And so February 2009, there was probably, on a good Sunday, 40 people that would show up. We loved it. We had about 30 people setting up this morning. And I was just, I was just smiling, thinking, man, this used to be our church. And it's grown, obviously, and it's a good thing. But in, all, along the journey, what happened was um, Alex and I said, hey, we need to get some leaders. So we started something called the Strat Team, and we had four of us, and that was our leadership team, and it was this organic, messy community that we were kind of just all doing it together. We were trying different things, experimenting. It was just this season of God just giving us favor, of just blessing the relationships we had. Um, and the story continues. We, we ended up launching, uh, moving from that old church to this facility, and the main reason was because it had an air conditioning. Um, and during the summer, it was so hot. So we moved here for the AC, not just the cool vibe, um, truly, because it was kind of awkward. We had, you know, what are we going to do with all the alcohol? If we have children's um, church, how are we going to meet in a bar or a cigar lounge? And obviously, God's blessed it, and He's kept it going. But we moved here, and we had, at the time, um, five life groups. We had um, probably 20 leaders. We didn't have a, a, an elder board at the time. We were just kind of waiting and just getting started with that. Um, and it was just a mess. And it was a beautiful mess that God loved. And that was the journey that we had. And then we launched. For those of you that were here, we launched October 11th. Our first service was, was kind of like this. It was full. Um, it grew from 80 in attendance to 180, it seemed like, overnight. Um, we went from five life groups to 14 life groups. We went from a community of 20 leaders to a, a community of leaders that were probably more towards the 30s and 40s. Um, we also started an elder board, and that elder team was an interim launch team because we were, we were given the, the task to become completely self-independent from Rock Harbor within a year, actually more, more like eight months from the launch. And so it was like go time for us. And at the time, I mean, you can just imagine what it was like. Our leadership was going through so many new things. We were trying to figure out who we are. We were asking the question, what is our identity? What do we want to, you know, what are we trying to do here in the city? And, and it was just this, this messy, beautiful thing. And that's our story of planting a church. And we set out a group of us just to do this thing. And obviously, um, we have a lot of us here. We have two services. We started this last year another service. We did Easter where 500 people came on Easter. We partner with other churches. We have great relationships with the city. Um, our children's ministry 
is absolutely phenomenal. For those of you that have kids know this. The, a lot of people have come to our church because their children have said, we want to go to the garden because of their children's ministry. I mean, it's amazing. It went from like two kids or four kids to, you know, 20 or something like that overnight. And, and uh, we meet in a bar. It's amazing. But that's our journey and that's our story. And that's for those of you that are just coming in, this story is not finished. It's just getting started. This city needs a powerful testimony of what it means to be the body. What it means for a family of believers to live out its faith. So we, we talked about what that meant the last year. We talked on the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about uh, the seven deadly sins. We talked about the Ten Commandments. The whole point of these sermons were to really create an identity statement for us. It was basically to say, if you want to know what we're going to be about at the Garden, we'll read the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know what we're going to be about at the Garden, we'll read the Ten Commandments. Because God had intended His people to live a certain way. And the church is supposed to be the fulfillment of that because of Jesus. And so that's our goal here. And so um, that's kind of our story. And so here's what I want to do. I want to I introduce you to our elder team. Um, I told you a year ago we started an interim elder team. And I, I get a lot of questions. And I realize our website doesn't have a lot of information. I'm sorry for those of you that look on it. Um, we're getting a facelift and an all-new kind of re redesigned website. So that's going to happen. Hopefully that will help you, we'll let you know what's going on. Uh, but I want to talk about leadership. When I was planting, when I, started, when I, when I was uh, going to start the church, I had mentors around me, including Todd Proctor and people from um, Southland's church. And, and they were giving me advice. And they said, Darren, don't put anyone into formal leadership within the first year. Because it's going to be much harder for you to take someone out of leadership than it is for you to put them in. And I, I'll question that, but we followed that. And the reason is this. If you read the New Testament... You read the epistles, you see that leadership has less to do about your job description and function and more to do about your heart, your character, being filled with the Holy Spirit, about wisdom, maturity. It has to do, according to 1 Timothy 3, how you treat your family, how you treat your kids, how you manage your home. And I grew up in a church setting where it was pretty much, here's the job description we need if you fulfill those requirements and you have a master's in all the degrees. Well, that's fine. And it was, it was just based on the job description. And I thought, man, I don't see that in the New Testament. I see character. And so we went through this painful process of just waiting to put people into leadership. And, and to be honest, uh, uh, you know, I've heard of, of, of the way churches have led their communities, the, the way leadership in the church has led. You, you, you hear metaphors in the New Testament, the family. The church is the, the, uh, the household of God. It's the body. It's the bride. What don't you hear? It's a business. But what do you see the church constantly trying to replicate? Business model. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there is kind of this, this tension that we have to live in. We have to take the best of the business world in, in the sense of leadership, and we have to apply it to the biblical lens of leadership. That means we have to run it like a family. We have to learn how to, how to be relational, actually how to care for one another in the midst of difference and conflict and not just say you're fired at a church because you don't fit the role. We have to learn how to lead from our hearts, from character. And so I want you to know at this church, leadership is about being, finding people who are spirit-led, who are full of the spirit and wisdom, who are mature and full of character. That's what we have to base it on. That's what we're trying to raise up all of our leaders in. And so I want to just bring up our, our, first of all, I want to bring up my wife. For those of you that don't know my wife, where's Alex? Al, 
She's probably in the back. Al, come on. This is my beautiful wife. Come here, babe. Alex. Yeah. We want to talk about um, elders and what, what that means, but I just want to introduce you to my wife. Just stand here. Look at everyone. You don't get to do this very often. Um, Alex and I lead this church together. Um, we obviously have different roles within this community. I'm much more of a public role, but for those of you that have been in leadership meetings or have met with Alex, you know that she is an amazingly gifted woman as a leader in the church. And she, she leads our community in such a different way than I can. Um, she is my partner in this. We, we, we see ourselves just doing this together. And I know a lot of us don't have that background. We haven't seen that done. And we're going to be teaching about it in kind of more of the class setting so you guys can get, a, get an understanding biblically of where this comes from, or where this comes from. But I just want you to know that I, I definitely wouldn't be leading this church without Alex next to me, leading it with me. And so you guys just need to hear that when, when I talk about leading, it's always us. Every decision that we make in our community, it's always processed through this woman who is such an, an iron-sharpening iron woman. I, I just praise her. And I don't just do it publicly. And if you read my Facebook, you know how much I love my wife. <laughs> um, and, if you, and if you come on Sundays, you know how much I fight with her. So it's cool. <laughs> um, so, but this is my beautiful bride. This is Alex. Um, and I just want to invite the, the elder team to come forward. The, this is the executive and elder team. Um, would you guys just come up right now if you're here? Yeah, come on forward. Just stand, stand next to me. Um, yeah, yeah, come on. This, this, is, this is basically, we have two types of teams. We have a spiritual oversight and an executive oversight. Um, they're all functioning as elders. And the word elder... Um, why don't you put that slide up, Larry? Um, we see that in, in the New Testament, there's, there's different kind of pers perspectives of eldership. We see from 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, Acts chapter 20, and Titus 1, that the roles of, of local elders have kind of a, a blend. They're, they're all contextual. That means that the church of Philippi had different types of elders, the same qualifications, but different. it kind of functioned differently than the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had like 15 men leading the church. Uh, the church of Philippi had two, two women elders leading the church. So we see that there's a broad, broad range of what it means to be an elder in, in a New Testament church. But we've taken that and we recognize that the responsibility that local elders have is a big deal. These guys, um, this, is, this is Ryan and Megan Coker. This is uh, John and Lydia. What? And Senna, sorry. She's not an elder, though, not yet. Um, John and Lydia Rosine, Greg and Eileen Franken-Bandera. This is Alan and Nessa Freeman and my wife and I. And we're missing uh, Chris, Chris Cho. And so there's 11 of us on this team that functions as a spiritual oversight team. And this community right here is the church that leads, or the community that leads our church. Um, from the, the eldership. And that means that they're, they're praying for us. We lead from a prayerful posture. We're, we're praying for this entire community. All of our decisions that we make are processed through a team. Um, the executive team is out of this team, a small group of us that make all the business decisions as far as budgets, finances, all the legal stuff that you need to have as a 501c3. That's part of a business team. But this is the spiritual elder team. And basically, there's four kind of words that we pull from Scripture. And I just want you to hear these words and see them so you know who, who's, um, our, who our leadership is. That way, you can recognize that there's some, there's some young people, there's some older people. It's a broad range of people. But our, our, our community is held accountable by, by a community. 
Um, but the four words that you see are, is overseer, you see, um, let me read these, uh, shepherd, elder, and to serve. Those four words kind of compiled from those four verses or four chapters that I told you about are, are the responsibilities and function that these people have. They're here to oversee our community, um, to shepherd and protect and tend to the flock, um, to elder, basically to lead by example what a Christian life looks like and to serve as the foot washers of our community. So this is the spiritual oversight team. You guys can see them, recognize who they are, talk to them, get some time with them, and just appreciate them. They do so much for our community and for Alex and I. So just give them a round of applause. Thanks for being here. All right. So now you know we're an elder-led church. Um, Man, I feel like I brought too much to bring you guys up to speed on. Um, Okay, I'm going to do one one thing real quick. Uh, Two more things. I want to tell you about our our vision and directions and then talk about our financial update. First of all, um, over the last two years, we've been trying to do this. We've been asking the question, how does our church articulate the mission that God's given us? How do we articulate the mission God's given us? Because it's not a choice. You know, the churches around the world have clever different vision statements, mission statements, and, and emphasize certain things. But if you, if you go to the New Testament, it's clear. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He'll say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He says to the church, anyone that's gathering, all of us, the mission we have is to be his witnesses and to, uh, to, 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 be, to make disciples of all nations and baptize people in the Trinitarian reality. So, recognizing that, that we don't really have a choice in, in, in our mission except how we articulate it, we um, have kind of landed on our identity statement or our, our vision or mission statement. So, I want to put this on the screen really quick. Would you put that up, Larry, just a mission statement? It says... Uh, the garden is a church of communities following Jesus to partner with Him in the renewal of all things. Um, this is a loaded theological mission statement. The garden is a church of communities following Jesus to partner with Him in the renewal of all things. We're going to spend the next year kind of breaking what this means down. I just wanted to present this to you. It's going to go on our website. That way you know what we're about. Um, and out of this vision statement or mission statement, uh, we, we have four things that the church is really about here at this church. Would you go to the next one? The first is journey. One of the values, or as we're going to call them, uh, directions. This is the, the way we go. We value journey. And what that means simply is discipleship. As a church body, we've got to be about the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so, to put it in one word, that's journey. On this journey, we're going to explain that more in the future. So I'm just going to breeze through these so we can get through them. Go to the next one. On this journey, there's kind of three rhythms of life that we embody as disciples. I've talked to you about this over and over over the last two years. That if you boil down the church to what it means, there's, kind of, there's only a few things that we have to be about. And we've decided to adopt those as our primary directions as a church. So the first is discipleship, which we take the word journey. The second is mission. We recognize that God has a mission from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation, which is what? To the restoration and renewal of all things to Himself. And as followers of Jesus, we learn to embody His mission. 
in our daily lives. And that simply means whether we go to work, whether we serve at the rescue mission, whether we plant community gardens or come here on Sunday, we need to become the redemptive presence in the communities that we live. So we learn to embody mission. Does that make sense? The, the, the third thing is uh, worship. Um, the other posture that we take in our church is worship. And that's the recognition that uh, we're constantly learning to offer our lives back to God. It's just this communion with God. So we want to value and practice worship. And the last thing is belong. We value community. It's about being a part of something, being um, owning something, participating in something that's not just something we attend on Sundays, guys, or just attend during the week. But this is primarily about who we are as individuals. We are not individuals apart from the community that we gather from. So we value these things, journey, mission, worship, and belong. And our goal over the next few years, really, guys, is to just teach uh, these kind of practices and learn how to embody them and how to simplify and just embody the simple life that Jesus invites us to. Because I'll be honest, I've been a part of the church for a while, and it seems like to be in, in a community, you have to serve and serve and go and do and do and do. Would you agree? I don't know, maybe it's not just you, but it's not just life group, but it's missional community. It's not just missional community. It's, it's serving here. It's not just serving there. It's, it's set up and tear down. It's not just set up and tear down. It's, it's giving out. It's, it's everything. And, and would you agree that sometimes the church just exhausts us? Maybe it doesn't you, but sometimes it does me. And the battle that we want to battle together is finding the yoke that Jesus talks about, the light burden, a, a lifestyle of mission, belong, worship, and journey. It's simple. It's easy. Does that make sense? So just to summarize, this is kind of what we landed on. We're going to talk through it. Um, but our mission statement is the garden is a church of communities following Jesus to partner with Him in the renewal of all things. And we learn to do that through journey, worship, mission, and belong. All right. You guys are a lot quieter today, man. Not as funny, huh, without Bill? Um, all right. Uh, okay. This is, uh, okay. Hey, why don't you put the next slide up? Um, oh, yeah, I forgot this one. <laughs> we also want to be about the truth and spirit. So the word of God and the spirit of God. And over the next year, we're going to do theology classes and ministry training to grow in prayer and to grow in our knowledge of Christ. Okay, go to the next one. Sorry, God. Uh, truth and spirit. Okay. So, we've never done this before. And so if you're new, uh, this is new to you and it's new to us. But this is the first time, and you can't read it, but I'll explain it. I just want to briefly give you a breakdown of our finances last year and our goal for this next year. All right? So, um, what we have is we have a financial oversight team. Um, that kind of meets and discusses the budget and it reports to the executive elder team. So there's a lot of accountability. I'll get to the next, uh, the second year. But if you look at the first, um, first pie chart, what it says basically is this. Over the last seven months, we were released from Rock Harbor. And Rock Harbor at the time, from um, seven months up until July, was providing for $7,400 a month for our church. So um, for seven months, they supported um, us by $7,400. We brought in about $10,000 a month. So our operating budget last year, a month, was around $17,400. That's what we needed to bring in a month. And Rock Harbor provided about 44% of our annual budget, if that makes sense. 
So um, pretty much 78% of our annual budget goes to operations, facilities, cost of bookkeeping, account, uh, accounting, all of that stuff. And about 21% of our budget goes to ministries. Of that 21%, hear this. From the beginning, when we started, we started out, we started giving 10% of our income away. From the beginning. So of that 21%, 10% of our annual income goes to outside of our church. The Garden Church gives 10% of our income away. That means it's going to kingdom stuff, it goes to other church plants, it goes to missionaries, it goes to benevolence, people within our community that have had need, we've given money to them. 10% of our annual income goes, goes away. It's given away. I want to tell you how significant this is and I want to applaud you because of this. Hear these statistic, statistics with me for a second. 85% of all church plants, 85% of all church plants in the United States fail and close their doors after three years. That means 15% of all church plants will make it past three years. Okay? Of the 15% that make it past three years, 30% will become self-sustaining and independent from outside financial support within one year. What does that mean? Guys, we've become self-sustaining in one year. That means out of one, for every 100 churches planted, only five will become self-sustaining in one year and make it past three, uh, three years. Is that, is that mind-blowing? You guys catch that statistic? Basically, we've done something that maybe only four other churches out of 100 churches have done. It's pretty phenomenal. And we've done that. Yeah, you guys should applaud each other. Because this has nothing to do with me as much as it does to do with us. It has to do with us. Um, but I, I just wanted to highlight one more thing. We've done that in the midst of giving 10% away. That's what's amazing. So I just wanted to present to you um, our next year budget. So Rock Harbor said, hey, you guys have till July 2010 to become completely self-sustaining. And we, we worked towards that. And we were released from Rock Harbor June 30th, and on July 1st, we became completely self-sustaining and independent from that church within a year. Actually, within less than a year from the time we launched. And so around that time, our, our executive elder board got together, and with 12 different ministry proposals from different ministry leaders, we, we put together a budget of, of what we could realistically expect from our community based on last year's giving and income, and based on what we felt God was asking us, and at the same time, recognizing that we had ministry people asking for income. And so we put together this budget. We're basically asking for the same type of support that we needed last year which is $17,500 a month, which works out to be um, $210,000 for next year. Our fiscal year starts July 1st, 2010, and ends June 30th. So we're asking um, for $17,500 a month, and we're, we're hitting that number, absolutely. We've actually, uh, I think we've hit it almost every month except for the first month. Um, but we're doing good. 22% uh, goes to ministries. Of that, money, of that number, 10% is going to first fruits. That means we're giving it away. Um, and at the same time, we started something, our Craigslist, which is being worked out, where we're learning how to give and share our resources within this community. So guys, as far as the church goes, we're doing fine. I think that's a, a realistic goal, um, $17,500. I just go to the next slide. Here's some of the places that we gave last year. We gave to Hope Force International, Precious Lamb, Kingdom Causes, Harvest India, We Love Long Beach, 
um, 31 Bits, Power Ministry, Give Global, Hidden with Christ Ministries, Crochet Kids International, and Free Wheelchair Mission. Every, um, as far as 2010 goes, we've given $12,870 away. You guys have given that money away. So that's, that's that update. Would you go to the next one? Here's what I just want to share as far as giving goes. I'm going to talk about giving because Jesus is pretty concerned about finances. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible, um, and I know mine looks a lot smaller than the ones you have, but 15% of the entire Bible has to do with the conversation of money. Do you know that? 15% of the entire word has to do with money. Jesus, this is, this is crazy, talks more about money than anything else in the entire New Testament apart from the kingdom of God. Jesus talks more about money, more than anything else apart from the kingdom of God. That means he talks about money more than prayer, more than love, more than service, more than the Holy Spirit. What I've discovered is that, and I think you would agree, that giving finances has more to do with our heart, more to do with our worship, more to do with our discipleship than anything else. And so I, I, I was wrestling with this message, and for those of you that are close, know how hard this, was, was, this message was for me. Um, and the reason I was wrestling was because I didn't really understand how we go from a talk on the Holy Spirit and prepping for this new series on the Spirit and then go into finances. We were pre preparing uh, for this well, well in advance, and I just didn't get how it connected. And then I realized in my prayer time, God was saying to me that if you want to be, I wrote it down, if you want to be a spiritually mature church, you have to be a financially generous com community. I felt he say, if you want to be a spiritually mature church, you have to be a financially generous community. And so we broke down, based on our average attendance during the summer, which was low, we had about 220 people on average. And we just said, hey, what would it look like if we just spread that across the top? Everyone just gave um, based on this team. And the number is basically this. In order for us to make what we need to make, it's just $20 a week per person. $80 a month. To meet baseline. And this is baseline. This isn't, this isn't going... I mean, this is baseline. We need to... Um, it would it'd be everyone giving $20 a week. And now, I want to talk about that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, the end of 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, verses, verse 58. So we have this, this statistic that, and it, it really shocked me, to be honest, guys, because as I started doing the numbers, as we started processing the st statistics of the church, you need to hear this. The church across the board is financially supported by only 20% of our community. Only 20% of our community give regularly. What if only 20% of our community worshipped on Sunday? What if only 20% of us prayed? And you know it's even staggering? Of that 20% number... I want to pull it up because it's a, it's of the 20% that support it, 15% of the 20% provide for the most of that. We're basically supported by 44 individuals based on that number. 
if we take the church statistic. Now, this isn't a, sh a condemning thing. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I want to I talk where Paul talks. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Uh, Paul, in chapter 15 of Corinthians, gives you this unbelievable theology of resurrection. If, you read, if you've read 1 Corinthians 15, you know it's 58 verses of theological depth and dense understanding of what our lives in Christ look like, what the resurrection looks like. It's this profound, provocative appeal to the Corinth church that the, there is a resurrection of the dead and we have to participate in it. And then he goes and finishes this, this amazing chapter with verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then chapter 16. Now, about the collection for God's people. Do what I told you, um, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. What? Maybe we should read all of 1 Corinthians 15, but how does Paul go from this provocative theological statement and in theory of the resurrection and jump right into giving? Why does he do this? And some of you are feeling tense because we're talking about this. But how does Paul go from the, the resurrection of Jesus, the implications for our life, to giving? Because generosity demonstrates, demonstrates the resurrection life. Generosity demonstrates the resurrection life. What is Jesus doing in his career? He's flipping the world upside down. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. Come as a child into the kingdom. Blessed are the poor. He's flipping what the world says and flipping it upside down. He takes the cross, a symbol of humiliation and defeat by the Roman Empire, and makes it the symbol of victory over death. So what is Paul saying when we talk about giving? Well, one of the ways we get together as a community and represent the resurrection is that we give to each other. We give to the church. And I just want to highlight something because I felt that this was more for some of, for some of you here today. Um, that line is such a release. Set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Some of you are here and you're homeless. Some of you are here and look at that 20 and you think there's no way I could ever give that much. Some of you think of the 10% rule and you think, There's, I'm, I'm just disobedient. But what does Jesus say? He looks to the woman that puts two pennies in and says she gave more than anyone else. Why? Because she gave from her poverty, from her need. And they gave from their surplus. And so I just want to release anything you might be hearing from me that there's this expectation. This has nothing to do with number. It has everything to do with your heart. This has nothing to do with how much you give. It has everything to do with how much you worship. This has nothing to do with your finances as much as it does with your discipleship. The assumption in the New Testament is that if you're a part of a church, you're fully in. Consumerism and rampant individualism has destroyed our communities destroyed the church. We've designed churches around consumerism. Come get what you need. Friends will say, well, that church has this, this church has that. We'll go to this one on Sunday because they have great worship. We'll go here for the Word. That's not what the church is supposed to be, guys. 
The church is where you don't just come and participate with your spiritual gifts according to 1 Corinthians. Remember, we're all part of one body and all of us have different aspects of the body and we have to learn to work together. Some of us have gifts of tongues and prophecy and, and wisdom and administration. It's not just the spiritual gifts. It's time. We give our energy. We give our expertise. We give our intellect. We give our resources. The church is an all-in community. It's not a social group. The body of Christ is not an activist group. I'm passionate. The body is designed to reveal something. And that's to reveal Jesus has resurrected. He has risen and He has risen indeed. And it seems like the, the expectation that you read it all throughout the Bible is not that it's our money, but that we're called the steward. I mean, Genesis chapter 2 and 1 talk about stewarding. Not just the world, but our bodies. Not just our bodies, but our, 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 our talents and gifts. Not just our gifts, but our resources. How are we doing with this? How are you guys doing with this? Go to Acts chapter 2. I just want to land here. Maybe. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. And... And I don't want to idealize Acts, but here's what I love about Acts. Throughout the book, Luke is giving you snapshots of what happened. Because Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, start a church. That's what happens. That's what happens when disciples full of the Holy Spirit get together. They form a community of believers. They form the body. But, but all throughout the, uh, the book of Acts, Luke gives you a snapshot of just like a glimpse. It's as if you like, it's like a movie and it's like ending and he kind of pulls out and you see the family eating at the dinner table and all sorts of things happening. You know what I'm talking about? It's just this, this beautiful picture of just kind of pulling back and saying this is what happens. In Acts chapter 2, verse 30, uh, 43, the Holy Spirit comes and it says this is what happens after the Spirit fills the disciples. A bunch of people get saved. Um, and it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that word's koinonia, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Man, they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute to, uh, their proceeds to all and as, as to anyone that had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple, big gatherings. They broke bread in homes and they ate food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill of all people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Here's another snapshot. Now, the whole group of those who believed were one in heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possession, but everything they owned was held in common. That word is there again. With great power, the apostles gave the testimony of the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was no, not one needy person among them. For as many as owned land uh, or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that were sold. Listen to this. They laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each of them as they had need. Luke gives us a snapshot, and I find it fascinating. Why would he talk about no needy among them? Why would he talk about people saying that, hey, we have everything in common? Why would he, would he capture the fact that those that had 
shared with those that didn't have. And if you were here when we did our, our, our um, Ten Commandments, you know why. Because the Israelites, according to the Ten Commandments, were supposed to live in such a way that they not only had social and spiritual impact, but they had economic impact with their brothers. That meant simply that those that didn't have would receive from those that did have. Luke just gives us this beautiful picture. And to be honest, guys, the, the rule wasn't that they were a commune. I just wanted to dispel that rumor. This wasn't about, hey, we sell everything and we, we're in communal living. That's not what happened. All that happened is there were cases of individuals that had extra giving they, what they had. Some people gave everything away, but that wasn't the principle. That wasn't the normal practice. Uh, there's a book that really talks about that um, called The Rise of Christianity. It will dispel that rumor. But what was going on? It's simply this. When the church is full of the Holy Spirit, it practiced the resurrection through generosity. That we look at our brother and say, I'm here for you. Jesus talks about it more. Jesus will say in Matthew 6 that where your checkbook is, there your heart will be, or something like that. Where your visa statement is, the record of your spending, there you will see what really matters in your heart. I've challenged my life group before. I said, hey, what would it look like to be accountable to our spending? Let's bring our bank, bank statements in. That's part of our discipleship. discipleship. I just want to ask you this. Do you agree with me that money is a significant issue in your life? Do you agree that it has to do with discipleship? It has to do about following Jesus. If you're new, welcome. <laughs> we really don't want your money. We want your heart. And, and guys, do I know how hard this is. Why am I emotional? <laughs> Giving regularly is a rebellious act to the kingdom of the world. And it's a sign of allegiance to the kingdom of God. We come on Sunday and we pass this watering can. It's so we can share together in the fact that He is risen. And guys, every month my wife and I, we tithe regularly. And sometimes, honestly, it's not enough because it's not a sacrifice. And I, I am the type of guy that, that wants, I mean, oh my gosh, okay. Um, I don't know why I'm all funny about money. I'm the type of guy that looks at the monthly income that we give and say, oh, I could have an extra bedroom so I don't have to kick my wife out when I practice messages for Sunday. <laughs> or, you know, my neon that I drive is coming to an end and I know I need to start preparing for it and, and I know that that money is a significant amount of money. Or I think about my babe, my beautiful bride. I want to give her everything I can. I just, I just, I know. I know how hard it is to give regularly. Some of you don't know. If you want to be a part of the garden, you have to ask yourself a couple of things. Are you willing to follow Jesus with your life? Because we're about discipleship. 
I'm not, we're not trying to plant or lead the largest church in Long Beach. We want to lead the church that God wants us to lead, and that's a, a group of disciples. Are you willing to follow Jesus with your life? That means that one day, He's going to touch your heart. And when He touches your heart, He touches your wallet. Also, if you want to be a part of the garden, it's an all-in thing. The kingdom of God is not a 20-80 rule. The kingdom of God is not 20% carry 80. Or the kingdom of God is all in. So the call is for your heart. If you don't trust the leadership that you just saw, if you don't trust Bill and I, and you just have issues, honestly, go somewhere where you trust the leadership and give regularly there. But if this is your home, that number, I mean, it could just explode. And here, here's, here's what I just want to say. Next year, we're, we're doing theology classes. We're starting ministry classes. Um, guys, this, this place has got to be temporary. We're full today. We know it's coming to a close. And you know why? More than anything, it has not to do with the seats here being packed. It has to do with the kids in the other room, to me. We need to be a church of, about families. And our kids can't be in smoke-filled rooms. So our leadership is praying and discerning. Where are we going next? And we want maybe our own space. In fact, I'll be honest. We've been offered a building for free. Hear this. We've been offered an amazing church building. Absolutely free. Free of charge. There's no debt on it. But we don't know if that's where God's asking us to go. So our church is praying about it. But so I just want to say, we're going so many places and that number represents where we're going generously. Whether it's children's, whether it's getting more support. I look at that first fruits number and I'm like, dang, that's another pastor <laughs> or, or admin help or whatever. So I just want to ask you guys, would you uh, just consider today as we worship and close, um, consider two things. Where's your heart? And is this your home? All right, let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I am so thankful. <laughs> I'm so thankful for your generosity and your love. I just am I'm recalling how, how, how Paul uses the demonstrated demonstration of the greatest generosity when talking about money is the cross that you poured out your life, God. And so may we just recognize that. Lord Jesus, I'm so humbled by this community, by the, the, the uniqueness here that's happening. I read books about 20-somethings leaving the faith, and I see a church full of 20-somethings, and I'm so thankful, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you've done this not as a model or a cookie cutter, but Lord, you've, you've built a church based on a unique contextual love that you have for this unique city, Long Beach. And Lord, I pray that as we begin to start a new year, that we would just recognize you're after our hearts and that you're calling us to be one as you are one. So Lord Jesus, I, I just ask now that your spirit would come and work within us. Make this less about me, God. Make this more about everyone else in their heart. I pray that you would plant the seeds of generosity Generosity doesn't start with a lot of money. It starts with what you have. Would you bless this community, Lord, as we step out in faith and risk this next year 
as we start out on our own, God. Bless this, God. We give this to you and we give you our our leadership, our our directions and vision, and we give you our finances. and, And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified by all of it and that you would have your way. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.